If you have a Bible with you tonight, would you turn with me, please, to the book of Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 12. And I have no doubt that many in the congregation could quote these verses back to me without turning. But I trust that the familiarity again will not hinder us this evening as we come to God's Word. Hebrews chapter 12 and beginning to read at verse 1. And this is the Word of God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary, and lose heart. Amen. If you find it helpful, you'll find a sermon outline on your blue sheet. And I fear that me and Tim might be on similar ground from what he said to me in the way in this evening. He might have preached something very similar this morning. But it might interest you to know I planned before Christmas to preach something else. And last Christmas morning, as I was sat in church in Northern Ireland, I felt the real urge to preach in this text. So perhaps the Lord's at work by me and Tim both preaching on the same thing. If you're anything like me, the book of Hebrews is a bit like the book of Leviticus and you try and avoid it as much as you possibly can. Because I find the book of Hebrews difficult. It's not an easy book to understand. But I was encouraged in my preparation to find that Stuart Elliott, who preached here just a couple of weeks ago, has written a book called I Wish Someone Would Explain Hebrews to Me. And that was how I felt at the time, and I'm glad to see that he feels the same way, so it's not just me who's on my own. But Hebrews is a book written to a group of Christians. They were Jewish converts who had been converted to Christianity, and they're weary. They're growing tired in their Christian life. They're facing persecution, and they're thinking of turning back to Judaism because it seems an awful lot easier than this Christianity lark. Their lives are under threat. Their businesses are being burned down. And they're thinking of turning back to Judaism. And what I really want us to do this evening is put ourselves in the shoes of those Jewish converts and to hear what the writer to the Hebrews said to them 2,000 years ago and to hear what God's word would say to us this evening. Now, I think really that chapter 12, verse 1, should be tied on to the end of chapter 11. I don't think it really fits where it is in our English Bible. Because at the end of chapter 11 is the hall of faith. That's what we call the Christian hall of faith. As we look back to the Old Testament saints, and over 20 times in chapter 11 we see this phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith. And that comes up over and over again. It's by faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, insert your Old Testament character here. And the purpose of this um, passage that we're coming to this evening is really to encourage these Hebrew believers to look to these Old Testament saints to see what they lived like and then to point them forward to the better one who came. For their faith was then perfected when the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth. 
The therefore here in chapter 12 connects back to chapter 11. We commence, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, if you're like me, perhaps this is just me, but I always thought of this scene as being like an athletics track. I used to run. You're going to get a lot of me running this evening. And I used to run. There's an athletics track in the middle, and I never ran the big stadium, but you'd have a big stadium up around the outside, and everyone's looking down at the athletes in the middle to see what's going on in the track. And I used to think that these witnesses were kind of like the crowd in the stadium. They're looking down, cheering you on, running your Christian walk now. Well, it seems to be a bit of a consensus among evangelical commentators that that's not the case at all. For these witnesses are not witnesses in the sense they're looking at us, cheering us on. For think about it, they're in heaven. They've got a much better thing to do in heaven. They're not looking down at us. But we're looking at their lives and their lives witness to the fact that the life of faith is the best life to live. We see the great acts and exploits that they were able to accomplish through living by faith. Even though they had not seen, they lived by faith. And we see through chapter 11 all that they could accomplish through this life of faith. And so this crowd of witnesses that we see here in chapter 12 verse 1 They aren't cheering us on, but their example sets the way for us to follow. Their life is a witness to the life of faith. And so the Hebrew believers here are being encouraged to live this life of faith. Don't be going back to the legalism of the Old Testament. Don't be going back to the sacrifices and all of those uh, far inferior things. Live the life of faith, for Christ is superior in every way. Let us get into our passage and let us see what the Hebrews are encouraged to do. They're encouraged to do three things here this evening. The first one is they're encouraged to lay. Now the problem here is that I prepared this from the ESV and the NIV 1984 version doesn't contain the word lay, but you'll get the point anyway. For chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Focus in the middle here to begin with. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. There are two things here that the Hebrews are encouraged to throw off or to lay aside. And I'm going to deal with the second one first because it's much easier to deal with. Because I doubt I'll get much pushback here this evening if I say that we're to throw off sin. For the year ahead, those of us who are Christians here, we must throw off sin. Because we will not run the Christian life. We will not live the life of faith if we are constantly going back and being hindered by sin. The Hebrew believers must throw off sin. And so must we. We can all testify to the fact that sin is a great hurdle in the Christian life, isn't it? Each of us will have those sins that we go back to over and over again and we pray repenting and we're genuine in our repentance and yet we always seem to get tripped up somewhere along the way. Sin is a great hurdle in the Christian life. And the writer to the Hebrews here exhorts the Hebrew believers, throw off your sin. Do not let it be a hurdle. Throw it off. Get rid of it completely and put it behind you. That's one thing that they're told to throw off. Now, the second here is the more difficult one. They're told to throw off everything that hinders, or in the translation that I prepared from it was, 
every weight. Now, an athlete will go into a stadium with a tracksuit on usually and probably a couple of water bottles, probably a bit of sponsorship in the front as well, and they'll have all sorts of things with them. And then they, whenever it comes to the on the marks, they take it all off and they put it in one of those wee boxes and then they hand it to whoever's been fortunate enough to be the person who's carrying the box of the athlete's gear. They take everything off that isn't necessary to run the race. They want to be as lightweight as possible in themselves. Even if it's something that's perfectly good, they will take it off and put it to the side, ready to run. Because you want to be as light as possible. Now what's this saying to us then this evening? Well, first of all, let's deal with what it was saying to the original hearers. Because here the Hebrews, remember, they were thinking of going back to the Old Testament rituals and legalism. And I think that really this is the legalism they were thinking of going back to. They were still tempted by those Old Testament rituals like circumcision, the sacrifices, the dietary laws. And I think that this is really the legalism they were tempted to go back to. Now, is there anything wrong in in principle with all of those things? They're all perfectly good things. The Lord had commanded them for the Jewish nation, but they weren't necessary to run the race ahead of these Hebrew believers. And that's where we find ourselves here. These things aren't necessarily sins in and of themselves, but they are things which hinder us from running. They're things which become unnecessary to run the Christian race. If you're with us in the autumn and Sunday evenings, you might remember that Joseph had a great diagram on the screen of different areas of Christian life. And there were things which the Bible very clearly teaches are sins and the Christian ought not to do. There were things which were largely morally neutral and you could take or leave. And then there were kind of gray areas. Those areas of Christian conscience and freedom where some Christians will differ and others um, will be fine doing them. And here I think we're coming to areas like that. We're coming to areas which are not sins in and of themselves, but they're things which stop us from running. They're things which hinder us along the way. And there's so many of those things in the 21st century UK, aren't there? You've got Netflix, you've got Amazon Prime, you've got Disney Plus, you've got any other number of streaming services you could shout out to me. And that's before you even get into other things which are actually perhaps useful That's just the streaming services. And all of these things are not necessarily sins in and of themselves, but they can stop us from running. John Piper's a much better preacher than I am. And if you go onto YouTube, you'll find a great little sermon clip of him. And it's a little sermon mash of different sermons put together. And he says this, he says, don't just ask the question, is this a sin? That's about the lowest question you can possibly ask if you're a Christian. Don't ask, is this a sin? Ask, does this help me to run? Is this something that's pushing me towards Christ? Is this something that's helping me along the way in my Christian journey? And then decide, is it worthwhile doing? Don't just ask, is it a sin, brothers and sisters? Ask, does this help me to run the race that is set ahead of me this year? They're told to lay aside everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Perhaps I'm speaking to someone, I'm certainly speaking to myself, because I often get most honest with myself around this time of year. I look back at things and think, I've not done that so well in 2022. I'd like to do that better in 2023. And there's sins that I need to lay off as I go into 2023. There are things that are not helpful that I need to lay off as I go into 2023. 
And there are things that I simply spend too much time doing that don't help me to run, that don't propel me along in the Christian race, and I give them too much time. Perhaps we all commit to thinking about what we could lay off in the year ahead. What could we lay aside that would help us to run the race marked out for us in the year ahead? Now, if you were tired thinking of laying things aside, you're going to be more tired now, because now we're coming to the second point where we're told to run. We're told to run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. I wonder, do you ever hear people saying, let go and let God? I wonder what you think of that phrase, let go and let God. Well, I think it's a lot of nonsense personally. Because everywhere in the Bible, right throughout the book of Hebrews, in fact, we are told, let us, and then a verb, let us, and then a verb. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Hebrews 4.14, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, let us hold fast our confession. Hebrews 12, verse 2, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The Christian life is an active life. It's not a case of getting onto the track and standing still. Wouldn't you look ridiculous if you turned up to run in a race and the starter's gun went off and you just stood in the start line? How ridiculous would that be? You'd be left behind as everyone else was off running the race. Oh, we're told to run this race. It takes effort. It's active. We're told to make progress as we go through our Christian lives. Amos 6 verse 1 says, Woe to them who are at ease. There's a woe to those who are standing still in the Old Testament. And there's no place for standing still in the Christian life. There's a race set out for us and we must run it. God isn't going to just come along and push us from the back and make us run. No, we must run the race that is set before us. And this race is no sprint for we're told, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us it's not a simple 100 meter dash this one it's not even a 400 meters which i used to run it's one of those grisly long marathons where you're going to go through periods where you feel like you're running on air and then you're going to go through periods where you're hitting that wall that marathon runners talk about and the lactic acid hits in and you feel like you just can't go on but we're told brothers and sisters to run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. We're told to run, and Paul says in uh, Philippians 3.13, it's a race to be run with endurance, pressing towards the goal. It's a striving. We're to be active in it. We're to make progress. And we're to keep going in the Christian life. I wonder as we enter into 2023 and you think of your own Christian life, are you running? Or have you hit that wall? You hit that wall and you feel like you just stopped running you've hit that and you're just walking along perhaps still making a little bit of progress but you're not running the race would new year's day 2023 not be a great time to commit to running this race that is set before you to find your energy again not through me preaching to you tonight but through the word of god coming to you and saying let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us Brothers and sisters, let us run in the year ahead. Let us be people who are active, actively seeking God, actively reading his word, actively praying in the secret place, actively meeting together as a church body, 
not just on Sundays, but throughout the week, actively serving to bring the gospel to this community, let us run in the year ahead and run for the glory of God. The Hebrews are encouraged to lay aside sin. They're encouraged to run the race. And finally, and most importantly, they're encouraged to fix. They're encouraged to fix in verse 2. We have another let us here. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the ultimate example for these Hebrew believers. Chapter 11 gives them wonderful examples to look back to. Chapter 11 gives them great examples of a life well lived by faith. But then they're told, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. For he is the author and perfecter of our faith. He was the fulfillment. He was the better Adam. He was the better of all of these Old Testament saints. He was the one in whom their faith was fulfilled. And we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus. Run this race ahead of you, Hebrew believers and Christians here in 2022. Sorry, 2023 now. Run this race with tunnel vision. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't look back. Don't look around at other competitors. Fix your eyes ahead on Jesus Christ. For by keeping your eyes solely on him, you will run well. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I remember well a time that I didn't run with tunnel vision. I remember a time running the 800 meters and I was ahead for the entire race. I was a front runner and I was ahead. And then I made the mistake with 200 meters to go of having a glance behind me just to see where the other competitors were. What a foolish mistake that was. For as soon as I turned my head, someone went past me. And I didn't run with that tunnel vision. I hadn't set my eyes solely on the finish line. I hadn't set my eyes solely where they needed to be. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. For he's where our eyes need to be. He is the one we look to as our ultimate example. For he is the author and perfecter of our faith. What does this mean, the author and the perfecter of our faith? Well, first of all, the author. He is the one who gives faith. He is the one who ultimately gives us faith. He is the object of our faith. But faith is a gift from him. Faith is a gift from God. Secondly, the perfecter. Well, who lived more of a life of faith than the Lord Jesus Christ? As I say, Hebrews 11 gives us wonderful examples of many great men and women of the faith who lived by faith. But if you look at the list of people in Hebrews 11, it won't take you very long in your Bible to find a great failure on each of their parts. Think of Moses. He was a murderer. Think of Rahab. Think of Abraham. They all failed. They all failed God. Oh, but fix your eyes on Jesus. And he lived the perfect life of faith. He lived the life that none of those Old Testament saints could ever live. He lived the life that you and I could never live. We read in Hebrews 11 verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please God. And yet this is what we read in Mark chapter 1 verse 11. This is God speaking, God the Father. 
This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Mark 1.11 This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. Jesus lived the perfect life of faith. He is the perfecter of faith. Think to the cross. Think to the Garden of Gethsemane that night before the cross whenever Jesus knew what was ahead of him and what did he pray? Yet not my will, but thine be done, he said. He had faith in God. He is the object of our faith. He gives us faith and he demonstrates to us the way to live the perfect life of faith. And so because of all of that, let us fix our eyes solely and squarely on him in the year to come. Let's not get distracted by other things around. Brothers and sisters, let us lift our eyes to Jesus so that we might run more well in the year to come. Michael Hinkson was having a normal day. It's a perfectly normal day. The sky was blue. He was going to his office in New York City. And he was at work on the 78th floor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. And many of you will know what's coming next, I'm sure. His dog, Roselle, was asleep under his desk. He was typing away as he did on any other day. And then suddenly there was a loud crash. For 15 floors above, an airplane had struck the North Tower of the World Trade Center. This is, of course, 9-11 in 2001. And Roselle, the dog who was asleep, was awakened by this loud crash. And what I haven't told you yet is that all Michael could do was hear what was going on around him. He heard pandemonium, he heard the loud crash, he heard people running around in a great tiz. But he could do nothing, for Michael was blind from birth. But Roselle lifted herself up from her sleep. She put Michael's hand firmly in hers and she led him out of the office calmly and led him and 30 of his other fellow co-workers down 1,463 steps to safety. And shortly after, those 31 people, including Michael, were out of the building, the North Qatar collapsed. Roselle laid aside everything else. She walked the race ahead of her, let's put it that way, and she fixed her eyes on the finish line. Because all that she needed to do was to keep on going, making progress, and Michael and the others would be led to safety. Will we do the same this year? Will each of us here commit to laying aside our sin, and not just our sin, but everything that stops us from running the race that is set before us? Will we commit to running this race, not being passive, but being active in our Christian lives, running the race set before us? And will we fix our eyes on Jesus? It's easy to say we'll fix our eyes on Jesus, isn't it? But the reality is that tomorrow morning or Tuesday morning, whenever we go back to work, there'll be so many other things that distract us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Perhaps you're here tonight and you're thinking, all this talk of a race, what's he on about? I don't even know what he's talking about. Well, you can enter into this race tonight through faith 
It is by faith that you enter the race to begin with. And if you're not even at the start line this evening, New Year's Day 2023 would be the perfect time to commit to laying aside your sin for good at the cross. Because we read here of one who gave his life for each one of us. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I began by saying that Hebrews was a letter written to people who were growing weary in their faith. They were tired. And if that's how you feel tonight, then let me very briefly in closing direct your thoughts and your attention to verse 3. Verse 3, and very simply the two words at the beginning, consider him. Why? Because he endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you want a recipe to keep going this year, yes, the laying aside of sin is essential. Running the race is essential. Fix your eyes on Jesus and consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's a lot for us to do there, isn't there? I've gone for at least four verbs, I think. We've to lay aside various things. We're to run. We're to fix. And then it's not in your sheep. We're to consider him. And we're going to need his help to do that, aren't we? So let's sing together in closing a prayer to be kept near the cross. For we must live under the shadow of the cross if we're to do these things in the year ahead. We're going to sing, Jesus, keep me near the cross.